Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The silence of doctors, nurses, and medics during the physical abuse of prisoners in Iraq and Afghanistan and the information provided by physicians and psychologists to determine how much and what kind of mistreatment could be delivered to prisoners during interrogation is the topic of this edition of Radio Curious. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Miles, the author of Oath Betrayed, Torture, Medical Complicity, and the War on Terror, a book based in part on eyewitness accounts of actual victims of prison abuse and more than 35,000 pages of documents, autopsy reports, and medical records. Dr. Miles is a professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School and its Center for Bioethics. He's a recognized expert in medical ethics, human rights, and international health care. This interview with Dr. Stephen Miles was recorded in mid-July 2006 from his office in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We began when I asked him about his motivation to write a book about the treatment of people who are disarmed and imprisoned. Well, I've done a lot of work on uh, in prisons overseas and uh, with refugee populations, which include uh, people who have been um, uh, tortured. And when I saw those pictures from Abu Ghraib, I knew that the docs had been... Uh, uh, present and the question was how come they hadn't blown the whistle on it uh, long before those pictures came out. What was it in the pictures that caused you to know there were doctors present? Because uh, physicians and nurses are present in every prison, and if they don't see the abuses themselves, they see the signs of the abuses, and they've been trained to do that. And so the physicians had to be aware that there was physical and, and mental abuse of these prisoners going on. And the the mystery got even deeper when it became clear that these abuses had not just happened at Abu Ghraib, but had happened at a series of prisons across Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and at Guantanamo Bay. So one possibility was that the medical system had been uh, uh, protesting, but that the protests had been silenced, and the other possibility was that they'd been going along with it. Which are the possibilities that you believe, or was it perhaps both? Well, uh, there were some who protested, although most of the protests came from uh, senior FBI and senior intelligence officials. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, I found uh, that the medical profession uh, had been built into the system of abuse and had been willfully complicit in concealing it. This did not come from looking at newspaper accounts or magazine accounts, but this came from 35,000 pages of government investigations, including eyewitness accounts, death certificates, emails from the field, autopsy reports, and so forth. Who are these physicians that are complicit? Um, the uh, physicians that are complicit include uh, people who are in the uh, reserves and also uh, career military uh, professionals. How do they justify their activities uh, with their medical oath to do no harm? The uh, problem was that the physicians and medical system were looking on themselves as soldiers first. 
and forgetting that uh, with regard to the treatment of disarmed captives, that their primary, uh, indeed their exclusive responsibility was to the well-being of the prisoners. Uh, this was coupled by the fact that the prisons themselves were designed as a course of interrogation centers in violation of the Geneva Accords, as this recent Supreme Court decision has uh, found. And so the physicians um, bent uh, the Hippocratic Oath to accommodate the course of interrogation system. Let's talk about the kind of torture that was involved that you have studied. What went on? Well, I've seen all forms of torture that are practiced in uh, torturing societies. Beatings, kickings, uh, suspending people by their arms, uh, near suffocation, uh, electric shocks, uh, sodomy with uh, batons, uh, chemical burns, fire burns, uh, putting people on hot car motors, uh, keeping people in uh, non-air-conditioned uh, sun, sun-baked uh, uh, metal containers, uh, the whole gamut of things. The only thing that I have not seen is in some uh, prisons they've engaged, in other countries they've engaged in mutilation such as cutting off fingers, hands, uh, or ears, and I did not see any of that in the U.S. prisons. It seems like in the history of the human species, uh, torture is not new. It's it's happened for um, uh, thousands of years. Torture goes way, way back, although the medical role in torture is actually relatively recent. It was started in about uh, the 15th century when physicians were uh, brought into the torture room or to see torture uh, uh, people before they were tortured to ascertain two things. First, could the person withstand the proposed program of interrogational torture? Uh, and secondly, were they capable of giving the evidence that was being requested of them? Obviously, for example, a blind person could not testify as to what they saw. Uh, Midwives were also examined uh, women who were about to be tortured to ascertain that they were not pregnant. What difference did that make? Uh, in the From the 15th century through the 18th century, uh, women who were pregnant were not tortured. Uh, the system waited until the child had been delivered or there was a miscarriage, and then uh, the uh, interrogational torture was done. Now, what happened was that Western Europe outlawed torture in the 18th century. And then uh, torture of uh, prisoners uh, became a huge issue with World War II, particularly with the abuse of uh, Allied prisoners by the German and uh, uh, Japanese uh, governments. And so out of these, the world community created the Geneva Conventions, which set minimal standards for the medical treatment of prisoners and also said that prisoners could not be subjected to torture or cruel or inhuman or degrading treatment uh, and indeed could not be subjected to coercive or disadvantageous treatment for failing to answer any question beyond name, rank, and serial number. Yet those Geneva Accords are not followed. Uh, We announced that we were going to unilaterally suspend them in 
Afghanistan and Guantanamo, although Iraq was supposed to be Geneva compliant. Uh, an Army investigation by General Fay found that, in fact, there was a, a, a similar system of interrogation that was used throughout the entire three theaters. Uh, the Geneva Conventions are not unilaterally revocable. That is, they are a definition of war crimes that a country cannot step out of and say that uh, we're simply not going to follow them. And indeed, one of the really interesting questions these days is whether or not uh, the European human rights community will subpoena or uh, indict senior U.S. officials uh, over the next uh, one to two years. Who would you anticipate would be indicted? Uh, well, the course of interrogation policy uh, was uh, designed by uh, uh, Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld, and then it was implemented by General Miller uh, at Guantanamo. Uh, there was also an undersecretary for intelligence called Stephen Camboni, uh, and I suspect uh, that those will be the principles possible that this would go down to the uh, theater commanders, General Sanchez in Iraq and General McNeil in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, the president uh, suspended the Geneva Conventions, which would technically uh, make him liable, although that's not the same thing as ordering the abuses, and I doubt that he would be subpoenaed or indicted. Can you describe the course of interrogation policy that Donald Rumsfeld prepared? Right. Uh, it's interesting. The uh, United States government, uh, as well as the British and Israelis, have conducted around 30 years of uh, research on course of interrogation, and consisting of uh, more than uh, 200 studies, and found that it did not work. Uh, as uh, Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld got prepared to uh, put in his so-called counter-resistance uh, policy, that is for prisoners who were resisting questioning. Uh, the Defense Department told him that course of interrogation did not work, but he went ahead and did it anyway. And what he did was he ordered uh, uh, techniques like uh, nudity, isolation, um, and uh, the use of barking dogs, uh, which quickly became uh, much more uh, extensive and abusive procedures throughout the system. Uh, indeed, there was a collapse of military com uh, command authority over guards who went way farther than that policy. Um, Rumsfeld also ordered uh, a system of medical evaluation of prisoners to see if they could withstand the proposed uh, harsh interrogation. Uh, and also medical monitoring during the course of the interrogation. Uh, there was a separate set of policies which have not yet been revealed but can be seen in practice, uh, whereby prisoners who actually died of torture um, were uh, the death certificates uh, of those were not released for months, and in some cases years after the deaths, and what that did was that disabled an entire system of early warning, if you will, uh, that something had gone seriously wrong in the prisons, and the pathologists went along with that system. The medical evaluation of prisoners to see if they can withstand the torture, how is that done? What are they looking for? Uh, well, uh, they were looking for a couple things. First off, they were looking for things like... Uh, 
oh, emotional and physical vulnerabilities. Uh, and also they were looking for uh, places where a prisoner uh, should not be uh, injured, uh, for example. Uh, one of the problems has been that the pre-interrogation uh, physical exams were kept separate from the general medical records uh, in most cases, and so those documents are not available for instruction. Uh, one of the things, though, that is very clear did happen, uh, since it's referred to in a number of documents, was that the uh, in interrogators had access to the medical records and would call those medical records uh, for insights in how to break the prisoners down. Uh, in addition, behavioral scientists also developed a plan of attack to exploit the specific uh, cultural beliefs uh, of Islamic men. Uh, these would include uh, uh, sex programs of sexual humiliation, uh, denial of prayer, not telling people when Ramadan was, uh, uh, forced nudity in front of women, uh, things that were called credit card swipes, whereby a woman guard would uh, uh, run a gloved hand up uh, a prisoner's buttocks to allegedly look for contraband, that kind of thing, all of which are strongly uh, taboo in uh, uh, Islamic culture. It sounds like from what you're saying that there are detailed records that were being kept and that there would be um, quite a few files on this, these activities. There are a lot of files. In fact, I managed to read, read about uh, oh, 35,000 pages looking for the medical information. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, there was a guy called Al-Khatami at, at Guantanamo. Um, the entire interrogation was overseen by a, a psychologist who went on for oh, about uh, two months uh, with uh, very, very, very prolonged uh, sleep deprivation. Uh, then there were a series of humiliating uh, techniques that were applied to him. He was restrained for for uh, days and days at a time uh, with very, very occasional uh, breaks in the restraint. Uh, in addition to that, he was given IVs. Sometimes he was given IVs and forced to urinate on himself. And then uh, at one point, he was chilled with an air conditioner to the point where his heart slowed down to... 35 uh, beats per minute, uh, or his pulse slowed down to 35 beats per minute, and that required hospitalization. He was rewarmed in the hospital uh, for 36 hours. Uh, some uh, blood chemistries, which had become deranged by his treatment, were uh, corrected, and then he was taken by ambulance back to the interrogation room where the interrogation was uh, resumed. Uh, doctors, medics, nurses, and a psychologist were present and advising this interrogation all the time it was in progress. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Dr. Stephen H. Miles from his office in Minneapolis, Minnesota, about his book, Oath Betrayed, Torture, Medical Complicity, and the War on Terror. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Uh, Dr. Stephen Miles, what kind of person imposes the torture? In other words, what state of mind does it take for someone to do these acts to another human being? Uh, there have been studies of people who torture that find uh, no particular uh, uh, psychological or psychiatric profile or no uh, upbringing characteristic. The best way to understand torture is that torture is 
a, uh, a social decision, uh, that it begins when a society uh, dehumanizes an enemy. Uh, at that point, uh, the society passes uh, special uh, national emergency acts, uh, which uh, uh, take away the ordinary legal protections for this class of persons. Special institutions are then established for these people, and then the practitioners of torture are put in them and sheltered from ordinary judicial and military uh, or police command accountability. Uh, and uh, so that in order for torture to occur, you have to have um, the uh, cooperation, the organization of the government, uh, the assent of uh, the legal profession, the assent of medicine, because around 60% of torture victims report seeing a doctor directly involved in uh, their torture in a variety of countries that have been studied. Uh, and so the torture is actually a social a social practice rather than uh, simply a practice of an individual abuser. So within the social practice, the torturer or the uh, compliant doctor believes they're actually doing a social good? That's right. Uh, the uh, healthcare practitioners conceive of themselves as part of the overall mobilization of the society against the enemy. And so they participate in that. What's so ironic here is uh, that torture does not produce good information. In fact, you know, one uh, fellow that we took to Egypt and then we tortured, uh, he became the source of the bad information or incorrect information that Saddam Hussein and al-Qaeda were cooperating on bioweapons. And that was part of the State of the Union address and taken to the UN to secure the uh, resolutions that uh, took us into Iraq. I was recently talking to a marine intelligence analyst who served in Iraq from uh, 2003 to 2005, uh, and he told me that we were endangering our soldiers as we were sending them out on these wild goose chases uh, to chase down bad information obtained by torture. You write in your book, Oath Betrayed, that Americans are fascinated with the images of torture, uh, almost to a voyeuristic extent. I think that's correct. And in fact, I think that our voyeurism has led us to misunderstand what torture is. Uh, first off, shows like 24, for example, uh, give us an impression that torture produces just-in-time intelligence that is used to prevent ticking time bombs. Um, I'm unable to prove that that's happened. I've looked at every instance where that's claimed in the Iraq war, and all of those instances are not what uh, they are claimed to be. Uh, torture completely prevents a torturing society from recruiting informants of those who it's tortured. Uh, and it also enrages the population that is directed against. And, for example, in Iraq, after the Abu Ghraib pictures came out, uh, our own, the percentage of Iraqis who approved of the American presence dropped from around 70% to around 25%, uh, thereby destroying our ability to broker a civil society in Iraq. The other interesting effect of torture is that uh, torture, uh, when we do torture, we destroy our ability to appeal to the Geneva Conventions on behalf of our own POWs or dissidents in other cultures. And the media presentations that we see of torture, 
uh, show it as a highly effective technique that saves lives, whereas in fact the reality of torture is that it destroys civil societies and it destroys protections that we've used on behalf of our own soldiers and on behalf of imprisoned dissidents who are fighting for democracy in other countries like China. Notwithstanding the Americans' fascination with torture, Americans object to the public depictions of torture. How do you explain that contradiction? Well, I think it's interesting that as our movies and uh, TV shows uh, and even cartoons have become increasingly graphic in in depicting torture, uh, at the same time there's been this uh, coyness about uh, showing the real images of of what torture is. Um, There's a vast uh, photographic collection of of what torture is. Uh, And even the Abu Ghraib pictures were... Uh, censored to the extent that we don't show the sexual humiliation of uh, uh, Iraqi women. Uh, We've not shown pictures of the uh, children uh, who are in these prisons as well. Uh, And uh, interestingly enough, though, we'll even show pictures of of, uh, the bodies of Iraq prisoners who've been beaten to death uh, and their faces. We will not uh, show the uh, uh, buttocks or genitals of these prisoners. And so there's this peculiar uh, inversion between fictional torture, which is becoming increasingly graphic, uh, and news torture, which is uh, increasingly coy. And I think that's led us to a sense that what America practices is torture light, for example. Well, why, why or what is the justification for this inversion? the refusal to show what actually happened. It seems to me it's parallel to refusing to show the uh, coffins of people who come back dead from the war. I think in some respect it does sanitize uh, the process, but also in in a larger sense, Americans simply do not understand how destructive torture is in the world. Around 130 countries practice torture today. And in most of these instances, what torture has done is not to secure information, but to prevent the emergence of civil society. That is, it's directed against intellectuals, journalists, teachers, uh, labor organizers, and so forth. And it's used to terrorize a population to try and uh, suppress um, uh, political activity. Americans tend to view torture as a way of securing reliable intelligence, but the reality of torture is that torture basically prevents the emergence of the kind of societies that we want to see emerge in the world, those with free speech, those with um, independent political organizations that can hold uh, fascist dictatorships in check. So in other words, it's the um, status quo, the uh groups that have the power and the control the policy that impose the torture. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And the, there has been a substantial uh, argument that the uh, extreme mobilization of the United States using a war metaphor for the war against terrorism uh, has been the wrong metaphor, that in fact uh, terrorism, including the events in New York and Washington and Madrid, uh, and Egypt and Bali, for example, these are terrible crimes. I, I won't dispute that. Uh, but they 
seem to me to be the kinds of things that lend themselves better to an international uh, criminal policing system rather than to a war metaphor. Indeed, the use of the war metaphor, particularly as it took us into Iraq, has uh, served as a huge recruiting and training field for um, for terrorist groups. Uh, senior military officials now are referring to Abu Ghraib as uh, Jihad University. Staying with the concept of torture and bringing it to the United States, the July 20, 2006 New York Times has a story about torture that was allegedly used in Chicago in the 1970s and 1980s, yet they also say in the same article that there, the statute of limitations uh, pursuant to which those who impose the torture has passed, and, and therefore there will be no prosecutions. Uh, correct, although it's important to note that the Geneva Conventions uh, pertain to uh, internationalized conflicts. They do not apply to uh, domestic institutions. But by and large, countries... Uh, Many countries have a problem with uh, police forces that abuse their own nationals, and this has been a large issue for human rights groups around the world. Dr. Stephen Miles, author of Oath Betrayed, Torture, Medical Complicity, and the War on Terror, now that we have seen the problem, how do we deal with it? I think that the issue for us now is not so much uncovering additional facts in the way that I'm doing it, but rather the question of how do we turn this data into reform. Uh, there are several items on the agenda. First, we need to have a massive declassification of documents, including the interrogation logs, uh, which show how these uh, things were constructed. Uh, second, we need to have an independent prosecutor with subpoena power. The existing investigations have been conducted by the military using uh, two-star generals, and one of the consequences of that is that it limits the command accountability to one-star generals, such as Janus Karpinski. Uh, the third issue that we're going to have to have is something like a Truth and Reconciliation uh, uh, Commission, uh, one in which we as a society can take a look at this history take a look at the Geneva Conventions and ask ourselves very seriously whether we wish to be in a world without international law pertaining to the treatment of, di of uh, uh, disarmed captives. Personally, I think that's a very dangerous world. Uh, I think that we need to have standards that we can appeal to when Uzbekistan um, uh, imprisons and tortures its uh, labor organizers. And finally, I think we're going to have to have uh, probably through European groups, uh, accountability for uh, some of the, the officials who are architects of uh, our own uh, system. Well, Dr. Stephen H. Miles, author of Oath Betrayed, Torture, Medical Complicity, and the War on Terror, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? Uh, yeah, about a month ago I read Bury the Chains, Prophets and Rebels in the Fight to Free an Empire's Slaves by Adam Hochschild, H-O-C-H-S, Child. And it is an astounding book uh, about how over a period of about uh, 40 years, this small uh, group of people uh, in England got England to uh, abolish slavery. 
uh, at enormous economic cost to England. And it is the most amazing story of uh, human rights uh, that I've never heard of, uh, that I've read about and never heard of before. It is uh, truly worth a read. Dr. Stephen H. Miles, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you. This interview with Dr. Stephen Miles, the author of Oath Betrayed, Torture, Medical Complicity, and the War on Terror, was recorded in mid-July 2006. The book he recommends is Bury the Chains, Prophets and Rebels in the Fight to Free an Empire's Slaves by Adam Hotchchild. Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org, with new editions published regularly. You may stream, download, subscribe to our podcast service, and share them as you wish. They're all free. We appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and comments about our programs and enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. Christina Onestead and Yuko Kodama are the assistant producers. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.